Thanks for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. And just to update you, thanks in large part to many of you, uh, we've been able to purchase a new home in central Missoula. And there's a lot of work ahead of us when it comes to making another warehouse our church home. And you can continue to contribute to remodel and renovation funds at achurchbuilding.com. But we just want to express to you how grateful we are for your support. And we hope that this resource you're about to listen to will be a blessing for you as well. But if you guys would, just bow your heads with me once more. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Um, We thank you that uh, whether we live to be uh, 16 or 60 or 106, the message that you gave us in Scripture, seen chiefly in the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ and his, his perfect life and obedience and his sacrificial death and his triumphant resurrection, will never be exhausted of its goodness to us, that every page on scripture, so as it points us to Jesus Christ, it does so to change us, to draw us to worship, to equip us for a Christian life. And so Lord, we pray today as we look at your book of Proverbs, um, that we do so understanding that we encounter your words, your words spoken for a purpose, that we see they would not return void, but they would accomplish all you've set forth to do. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you haven't yet opened up your Bibles, you can open up to Proverbs chapter 22. That's where we'll be today. We've been in the book of Proverbs since roughly October of this past year. And so far, we have seen two sections of the book of Proverbs. And today we begin a third. And the first section is Solomon's prologue. And that's chapters 1 through 9. And in those chapters, we kind of see Solomon take on the role of this teacher, and he is imbibing in us um, his philosophy of wisdom, of what wisdom is. Wisdom is not street smarts or common sense. Wisdom is not five steps to become the greatest financial mastermind. Wisdom is seeing the world through the lens of the fear of the Lord, submitting to his prescriptions or as the joyful and good life. We're invited to hear wisdom's call, to be wary of the call of Lady Folly. But then in chapter 10, we enter what we typically think of when we think of the book of Proverbs. We enter into the Solomon of Proverbs. A new section begins. And here Solomon takes out, as it were, a snare drum of wisdom. And he is constantly rapping on that drum, individual Proverbs at a consistent rate into our lives and into our hearts. And yet in the middle of chapters 10 and 22 is the spine of wisdom, Proverbs 16, where we see that why wisdom works is because there is a king who is God, who is in control of all things everywhere and is after our hearts and our desires. At the basis of even what we think to be common sense is the God who has ordered this world for our good. And now today we enter into the third portion of the book of Proverbs, which is often called the words of the wise. Maybe in your Bible, it has a a prescript of the 30 sayings of the wise. And here on this Father's Day, Solomon returns kind of to his prologue form. He's speaking as a father to a son, as a wise man to us as the pupil. And what he's doing today is today in verses 17 through 21 is he is introducing us to the remainder of this section, the words of the wise that are to follow. And I don't know if you, you heard it already when Rob was reading it, but we'll hear it again. Solomon is excited for us today. He is excited to invite us in to what God has given for your joy. 
He wants you to not just hear wisdom. Many of us will hear things. We hear words every day, but he wants us to hear the wisdom of God and apply it to our life and so be changed by it. It's one thing to hear wisdom. It's another thing to apply wisdom. Solomon's goal is to make you want to apply it, to see the beauty and the wonder of it. And so today we're going to see two main points in our passage. We're going to see first the secret of applying wisdom. In a world where wisdom, it seems to be everywhere, it's on your bookshelves, it's online, it's on your grandpa's anecdotes for the early bird getting the worm and walking to school uphill both ways in the snow. What makes God's wisdom distinct and how do we apply it? And then secondly, we're going to look at three rewards Solomon gives us of applying wisdom in our text today. There is, there is joy, there is wonder, there is goodness for those who not just hear wisdom, but apply wisdom in their life. It's the first thing I want to do is I want to read again our text, and I want you to hear if you can sense the excitement Solomon has of what he's inviting you to drive into your hearts. This is verse 17 through 21. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips, that your trust may be in the Lord. I have made them known to you today, even to you. Have I not written for you 30 sayings of counsel and knowledge to make you know what is right and true, that you may give a true answer to those who send you? So here, in light of this, we're gonna look at our first point today, which is the secret of applying wisdom. As we spend time in this portion of scripture, we know that there are actually two interrelated tips that Solomon is giving to us when it comes to applying God's word to our heart. And both of them meet in the middle of this text. Here we have five verses, and in the middle of the, is the sandwich, the meat of which Solomon wants us to draw all of the nutrients from. And if you'll notice in verse 19 in your text, this is where uh, God's giving of wisdom and our application of wisdom are melded together in seeing the beauty of the Lord who gives wisdom. So look at verse 19 again. That your trust may be in the Lord. All of the wisdom that's surrounding this results in the trust being in the Lord. And I've made them known to you today, even to you. Whatever wisdom is given, which follows, Whatever knowledge you're gaining in life, whatever words are to be spoken here in this text, Solomon wants you to know that they are not abstract principles to living. That they are tied directly to the Lord, to Yahweh, to the covenant-keeping God of Scripture. To walk away from this text today only having a desire for wisdom, if it is detached from the God who is wise, is to not apply this text at all. He is after a relational understanding of the God who speaks. And that's the first tip today. If you want wisdom, you need to have a God who speaks. You can't apply it if you don't know it. The first secret is have a God who speaks. And it's Solomon here who's writing. It's Solomon who's taking the role of the proverbial father with us to teach us, to instruct us. And yet the wisdom of Solomon is not just the wisdom of Solomon. The wisdom of Solomon is the wisdom of God. I don't know if you know the story of how Solomon became wise and why we care about what he says, 
But the Bible tells us this origin story in 1 Kings chapter 3. In this story, Solomon, who preceded King David, kind of the first mega king of Israel, Solomon comes as his son, and he is rather young. And in his youth, God approaches him. And this is the story we read, beginning in verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God asked, what shall I give you? And Solomon said, you have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people, whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to, dis- to govern this your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this, And not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. If you turn the page, we see the application of this in 1 Kings 4, verses 29 and 30. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breath of mind like the sand on the seashore, so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. Solomon received wisdom as a gift from God. Why? For the sake of God's people. Solomon wanted wisdom because God's covenant was so wonderful, God's people were so cherished, that he knew he needed help to love them as God would love them. God's wisdom always comes to us as a gift of his grace. It is always a blessing from God, which is why Solomon says in verse 19, you, and then he's like, even you, if you don't think this applies to you, today I am writing these things to you. He is inviting you in to hear the God who speaks, the God who has redeemed a people and a God who desires to lead and keep that people through wisdom. I once knew someone who got an apprenticeship in uh, an area of uh, the trade fields. And it was one of these fields where there's not really like a trade school you go to and you come out and you're, you're good. It was one where unless you can find a master, you're kind of dead in the water. And so he found a master and he did his apprenticeship And yet, unfortunately, the problem was his master didn't want to share any of his knowledge with the apprentice. The master knew everything. There's no doubt about that. He'd been working on his trade for 40 plus years. He had all of the wisdom. And yet, he had no delight to share it. 
And The Apprentice then was just kind of this glorified tool shelf who you could speak to, and magically they'd hand you tools. But there was no invitation into the wisdom of it. The heart of the master limited the man's wisdom by, one, not sharing much of it, and two, not giving the apprentice any way in which to apply it. This is not how the God of the Bible works. God is not miserly sitting on his wisdom or hiding it behind a paywall for those who have only the highest credentials to access. No one even approached God and asked him to share, for God existed before there was anyone to approach. And this is the wonder of worshiping a God who is Trinity, who is three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit. Existing in that before the foundations of the world was ever laid, God was constantly sharing of his wisdom with himself, rejoicing in his goodness in triune form. There was no solitary stoicism for the God of Scripture, but always an outward effervescent sharing of his goodness. But then something amazing happened. This eternally satisfied and always sharing God did something astounding. He created. He breathed and spoke the world into existence. He made humanity in his own image. And if you remember the story of Genesis, what was the first thing God began to do with his creation, chiefly his humanity, when he made them? He shared with them wisdom. He gave them his perspective on how they ought to live the good and joyful life. We see this prescription in Genesis 2, in verses 15 through 17. The Lord God took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, here's the wisdom of God. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So here's the wisdom. Do this and live. Don't do this and die. And it was astounding wisdom. It was wisdom, not that they would avoid death, but that they would flourish in God's eternal kingdom. And those of us who know the story, we know what happens next. We deny God's wisdom to be what's wise. Adam and Eve were whispered to by the serpent. They were deceived into thinking God was holding out from them. They trusted the word of another and death and pain and sorrow and humidity came into the world and ruined everything. And so the problem was that God spoke and we ignored it. And now we have this dilemma. We always, wisdom is always turning outward. Wisdom realizes that you don't have it and you need it. And so we turn outward everywhere to find something to help us organize our thoughts, to organize our minds, to make sense of who we are and who we think somewhere in our gut we ought to be. In the Bible, this is often manifested as idolatry. And look at how the psalmist speaks of these voices in Psalm 115, verses 5 through 9. We're starting verse 4, actually. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not smell. No, or hear, they have ears, but do not hear. That's how it, it works. Um, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. 
He is their help and he is their shield. If you want wisdom, you are already automatically turning outward to find it. And here is the God who speaks, a God who not only makes sounds in his throat, but a God who communicates to those around you for the purpose of what? That you would trust in him. That you would trust not in things that fail, not in words that have all the promise but none of the payout, but in the words of the God who is king. And do you hear Solomon leading us back to that wisdom in this text? Here he's like, look at this wisdom. Do you hear the words of invitation? If we're just looking back again at Proverbs 22, incline your ear, apply your heart. I'm making them known to you today. You who's not listening, even you. I've written you 30 sayings. I'm making known to you what is right and true, that you could give true answers to those who ask you. He is saying, come and see, come and taste, come and know, come and apply. You see, to desire wisdom in this world, wherever we are, however we see that wisdom, is at its ultimate end to desire the God who speaks. The God who has created order and structure in this world because he is a God of order and structure. And therefore, to rightly apply wisdom, Proverbs 22, 19 says, is to actually submit yourself to the God of wisdom. We can have people who make wise business decisions, but to apply wisdom in a biblical standard is to end up in a place of placing your trust in God. And wisdom, as wonderful as it is on its own, knowing when to sow and reap, when to wake up and when to sleep, when to say something and when to not say something, those are good things. But those alone don't actually win you back into the wonderful trust of God. But God has spoken in another way that wins us back, not simply by proving his truthfulness, but by redeeming our hearts from the sins of Adam and the doubt of God's word. We see this in Hebrews chapter one, where God speaks in a new way. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Here is Jesus, not just the Jesus who affirms God's created order through which God created everything that makes sense in this world. Here is Jesus who shows us not just how the world can be made new, but here is Jesus through his sacrificial death and faith in him can make you new. Who can prove to you that God is calling you back by calling you to Christ. Jesus solves the problem of Adam's rejection by speaking even louder than creation himself. And when we see that God is trustworthy in Jesus Christ, now Solomon says, trust him everywhere else. Come back to this wisdom and see the beauty of the Lord. And do you see why God shares himself with us in this text? Because he, he gives us a reason why. If you've ever wondered what's at the heart of God's communication, if you've ever wondered what's at the heart of Christ's redemption of you, Consider the purpose of Proverbs twenty-two eighteen. For it will be pleasant for you. 
Solomon is pounding the table in excitement to bring us into a wisdom of God because he wants you to have incredible, pleasant joy in being restored back to the words of this covenant-keeping God. Joy that comes from knowing the God who speaks and then living our lives in joyful submission to his son and to his wisdom. The first secret of wisdom is find it. You can't apply it if you don't know it. And in Jesus Christ, God has proven that he and he alone knows how to fix our hearts and explain to us the world. He invites us to participate like a good master in his work of redemption by sharing with us everything he knows for our good. We have a God who speaks and that shapes how we approach his word. But now we know wisdom is out there. Because God has graciously graciously given it to us. But now, what do we do with it? Here's Solomon's second point this morning. Well, second point of our first point. It's one of those sermons. Uh, That is, have wisdom ready within you. We have a God who speaks now. What do we do with his word that he speaks? We ready it inside of us. Look at the language in verses 17 through 19 again. Incline your ear. Hear the words of the wise and apply your hearts to my knowledge, for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. If all of them are ready on your lips, that your trust may be in the Lord, I have made them known to you today, even to you. So Solomon is giving us wisdom, and what do we do with it? Well, he explains kind of this process. You hear it with your ear, but then it's not done. Then he wants, verse 17, he wants you to apply his knowledge to your heart. What does that look like? What does that mean? My wife and I have very different uh, study habits. Um, We were never in college together, but we've picked up enough over the course of our marriage where we realize uh, we have different gifts and different hurdles. Um, She, when it comes to memorizing things or studying, my wife generally takes a longer time to study and has to put in more effort. And she's frustrated with me Because I can look at something and memorize it or pass the exam quicker. Now, you might think this is just my humble brag over my wife. Um, It's Father's Day. I'm entitled to it. But that's not the point. The point is that as soon as I memorize it or pass the test, there is this magical transformation that happens where it just leaves me. Like the Holy Ghost of knowledge just is gone. Like a day later, a week later, I have no idea what I memorized. I have no idea what was on that test but I could regurgitate it on point, and then I was done. My wife, on the other hand, she labors over it, and it will be like her dying words. She will remember. It sticks in her brain. It is embedded in her person. Many of us approach God's wisdom, like me, as if we are cramming for an exam, that all we need to do is articulate it once to understand how the words tie together in sentences, and they create thought groups, and we say, I understand thought group A. We get through reading our Bible. We confess the gospel, and then we hit the time clock, and we say, done. And then we look around and say, okay, now where's the wisdom? Now what am I going to busy myself with? Now where is my enjoyment going to come? Now who is going to teach me? But here Solomon is calling you in to be constantly consumed with the wisdom of God. Look at verse 18 again. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you. 
if all of them are ready on your lips. Wisdom will become pleasant. We like that. But it's conditional, isn't it? If you keep them within you. That Hebrew word for within is this anatomical term in Hebrew that literally means womb or your gut. If you want God's wisdom to actually be a delight to you, if you want it to be pleasant to you, you need to eat it. You need to chew it. You need to swallow it. You need to let it sit in your deepest parts. But more than that, if you want the pleasantness of wisdom, he says not only does it need to be within you, but he says it needs to be ready on your lips. That's to say that wisdom is not only internalized, but then when it's internalized, it's actually utilized. When it becomes so deeply ingrained in you, it is constantly flowing out of you. It comes back and influences how we talk, how we live, and how we act. There's one TV show that my wife and I have watched over and over again. We've seen the whole series multiple times, and there's rarely a social event we go to where someone doesn't say something or something doesn't happen that doesn't call us to recollect some scene or some joke or one-liner from this show. It is ready on our lips. We don't strain to think through, "Ah, I think that show had something to say about this. It's natural. It's involuntary. Do you have something like that in your life? If you had to say, this is ready on my lips, what would that be? Many of you perhaps know what that is just from greeting people on Sunday. You know when you go talk to so-and-so, they will always talk about this. They always view life through this lens. And the truth is, you actually have that same experience with somebody else. But here, Solomon is calling us to have that kind of relationship with the pleasantness of God's wisdom. That we would want it to be deep inside of us and ready always to be coming out of us. Last summer, we sat down with the church staff. We were nearing uh, the end of the series we were in, and we said, what book of the Bible should we preach next? And kind of how that works is we look at um, what are the needs of our body, and what has God spoken of to do this? And we looked at all the things that were coming up in this next year, and we said, we probably need help with wisdom. And it is an immense privilege to preach God's word. I get paid to spend hours each week studying scripture. I have a better job than you. It's wonderful. And yet, the time I've spent in Proverbs each week has been an experience I've never had in God's word before. Because every time I spend time in Proverbs, I say, this is better than I thought. This is more applicable than I imagined. This is more encouraging. This is more Christ-centered than I ever could have dreamed. By the end, I want it. I have seen its beauty. Do you realize what we've been through in the last year? Just nationally, we have had to deal with racial tensions reaching boiling points, the most tumultuous political cycle in recent history, and a global pandemic. On a local church level, we've wrestled with mask mandates, temporary homelessness, building projects, fundraising, and church discipline issues, and a myriad of significant health concerns inside of our own church. And each time as I've been in the book of Proverbs, I have found that God acknowledges the messiness of sin in our world. 
That it actually, instead of showing there is no God, it proves that something is wrong, that this world is broken, and that God in his mercy has sent Jesus Christ as the wisdom of God to show us the way out of it. And that sometimes when I read God's wisdom as it calls us to do things, that I often see from my own perspective that obeying wisdom instead of obeying my heart's desire is to actually do what I think is messiest, most burdensome in a world that's already messy and burdensome. But what I've found in small, humble ways is as I seek to trust God's wisdom in my experience, I come away with him tasting more and more pleasant every time that it is a delight to my soul. And that when I look at the challenge of God's word, it points me to Christ where Jesus has proved the beauty of it. That for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and is now seated at the right hand of God, where Jesus obeyed in harder circumstances than I will have ever been. And he suffered a greater consequence than I will ever suffer. In fact, he suffered my consequence. And what is the result? Exalted and seated at the right hand of God. Brothers and sisters, you don't have to do the work of Jesus. You don't have to carry the burden of trying to be the eternal son of God. You have the joy of being found in him by faith and obedience. This is the privilege of wisdom, that if God is faithful to you on the cross, he will certainly be faithful to you in Proverbs as well. Are you willing to dive deep into the whole of God's word and place it in your gut? To digest it deeply, to ready it on your lips. Solomon is about to not just give us wisdom, but he wants you to want the wisdom so how do we do this? How do we work God's wisdom into our hearts? How do we apply it to our hearts? There's lots of ways. I'll give two examples. First, we begin to see Jesus Christ as the crown of God's wisdom. Just as a toddler knows the shape of their pacifier, a runner knows the comfort of their favorite shoe, you know the warmth of your closest friend and know that no other would do. Do you know the wisdom of Jesus Christ with such intimacy? Have you, can you recite to yourself the wisdom of the gospel? When the world wages war against your comfort, do you remind yourself of the comfort there is in Christ? Comfort in the moment of the Holy Spirit crying within you, Abba, Father. Comfort of knowing that the world and its desires are passing away. Comfort of knowing that one day what is sown perishable will be raised imperishable. Knowing that what awaits every believer is the cry of the Father, well done, good and faithful servant. When the devil attacks your standing before God and calls you into question as to if you've done enough, do you know how to grab the robe of righteousness and wrap yourself in it? To know that Christ has done what you could not so that you could do what you never were able to, which is to follow God not only externally in our actions, but internally from your heart. Do you know that no one can bring you deeper into the heart of the Father than Christ the Son has already done in your salvation? You see, if you cannot trust God in Jesus Christ, then you have no business longing for the wisdom of God in any other sphere of life. But if you see God as trustworthy in Jesus, then you have the privilege of seeing him as trustworthy everywhere else. We see Christ as the crown of God's wisdom 
we want it deeper and deeper, and it's the Holy Spirit that carries it there. But secondly, and partly by means of the first, we need to draw God's word deeper and deeper inside of us. In God's word, his 66 books of self-revelation to us, do you consume it? Do you delight in it? Here he has given Proverbs, 31 chapters. He's given us a story of redemption. Do you know it? Do you delight in it? Does it bring you comfort and confidence? Do not be beyond in times when you're anxious, in times when you're worried, and you say, man, I've failed as a Christian. I don't have a verse memorized on this issue. Let me give you a hint. On all of your Bible apps, there's a little hourglass. It is no sign of weakness to tap it and to search for a word. (laughs) Search for worry. To search for doubt. To search for cry. To search for hope. It might be humbling to do that, but God's word has something for you. If you have questions about either of those two things, don't leave here today without it. That's why God gives us the church that we get to help each other do this, we can sit and read the Bible and ponder it together, that we can talk about the beauty of Jesus in the gospel. Don't leave here today if you don't know what that looks like without talking to someone. Now, our hearts, especially when it comes to wisdom, are naturally prone towards legalism. We see a little bit of what God lets us do, and we say, I've got the rest. I'll prove it. I'll do it harder than anyone else. You either become a burden or a delight. Both are dangerous. But what we see, what is in this text, we actually see that applying God's wisdom to our life is not a life of slavery. It's not a life of working wisdom into our heart with a white-knuckled sort of mentality, just thinking, well, today I've got the dirty task of treasuring the gospel and reading God's word. But sometimes we feel like that, don't we? It feels difficult. It feels unnatural. It feels like work. But here when we zoom out and we look at Proverbs 22, 17 through 21, We see our second point today as well. Three rewards of applying wisdom. God is good to speak. He is good to work it into our heart. But he's even better when we look at the reward God gives us when we do just that. First of all, as we've touched on it briefly, if we do the work of applying wisdom, this is the first reward, wisdom will become pleasant to you. Look at verses 17 and 18. Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise and apply your heart to my knowledge for it will be pleasant if you keep them within you if all of them are ready on your lips. Now what you'll notice here is, and this is where the gospel is different than the prosperity gospel. He doesn't say, if you apply them, life will be pleasant for you. It's not what he says. He says, it will be pleasant for you for you. So what is the it? What is it referring to? Well, if we look at verse 17, we know what it is. It is the words of the wise and the knowledge of Solomon. It is the wisdom of God that we are applying to our guts and to our lips. When we apply it, it becomes pleasant. I was talking to someone um, who knew about wine collecting. It wasn't my father, and so that limit is the only person I actually know, so I don't remember who this person was. But they talked about how most collectors have a show wine. That is a wine that they never actually drink, but they keep it in their cellar and they bring it out in order to impress people and say, look at this wine that I have. 
And I wonder how many of us treat God's wisdom like this. We want to be wise. We want to be seen as wise. We want to be seen as faithful. We want to be seen as well-equipped. And so we learn to present the label of wisdom to others without actually tasting it ourselves. But the reality is, if we only keep the gospel for the sake of others or keep it for an affirmation of ourselves that is apart from us, without ever consuming it, without ever internalizing it, without ever tasting it, the gospel is never actually present in you. And that is why you gaze at all of it and say, why isn't this delightful? Why isn't this enjoyable? Why isn't this pleasant? God has so made it that the gospel, unlike circumcision of the Old Testament, is not applied externally from the outside, but internally, a circumcision made without hands on the inside. In order to do that, we take the gospel and we obey it. We delight in it. If you want the gospel to become pleasant to you, you have to pop the cork and drink it for yourself. To believe something is to embody that belief by living in light of it. And there are things that God's word tells Christians to do which seem counterintuitive to our flesh. It seems that here's where we draw the line of pleasantness and to go across that is uncomfortable for me and therefore I'll stay safely on this side. Things like confessing our sins to others, giving sacrificially of our times and our finances, being content with less, being slow to speak, being more considerate of others than we are of ourselves. But the joy is that when we actually begin to practice these things, when we actually apply it to our guts and put it ready on our lips, it is then that what seems distant, what seems fearful, what seems ominous becomes pleasant. It becomes wonderful. God's wisdom becomes pleasant, not by sitting on our shelf, but by dancing on our tongue. Where is God's wisdom in your life? And what is your relationship with it? Are you drinking deeply and experiencing the pleasantness of God? Are you trying to keep it externally, hoping that the affirmation of others brings you the joy that only God can bring you in Jesus Christ? But here, wisdom becomes pleasant even in the hardest of times. But behind the pleasantness of wisdom is the second reward that Solomon gives. And that is that wisdom will deepen your trust in God. Again, look at verses 18 and 19. For it will be pleasant if you keep them within you, if all of them are ready on your lips, that your trust may be in the Lord. I have made them known to you today, even to you. Why does wisdom become pleasant to us? Why does Solomon offer you the promise of delight in God today? Even you, you who feel you have nothing with which to come, he does so in order that you might trust God. That you might see him as faithful in every area of life. And here's the wonder of how Solomon sets this up. This is too good to be true. This is why men can't create scripture because they think we're running a great Ponzi scheme. But that's just how good this is. is, is look at it. He says, if you want to trust God more, enjoy him more. That's the equation. Listen to my words. Apply them to your heart. Put them in your gut, have them ready on their lip. They will be pleasant to you so that you might trust in the Lord. God wins your trust by delighting your soul. Coming to salvation in Jesus Christ is the, the 
pinnacle of seeing God as pleasant. He wins your trust by calling you to hard places and showing you in those moments when there seems to be nothing else that can satisfy that God is able to, that he is worthy of your trust because even when it seems contrary to every desire of our flesh, he is pleasant to us. He is sufficient for us. This is the pervasive joy of Christian wisdom. It means that everything you encounter in this life, everything that makes sense, every ordered structure of mathematics or science, all of it is ultimately meant to be brought into the sphere of worship, of seeing God at the center of it, trusting him as Lord in the midst of it. Behind all the revealed wisdom of creation is the call to come and trust the God of creation. Right? Consider Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaim his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. When you wake up and the sun rises, God delights in you to see the beauty of it and to say, what a creative God. But more than that, to say, if God caused the sun to rise today, God's going to cause the sun to rise tomorrow. It allows us to place our trust in him. If we trust God with the sunrise that we have no control over, how much more ought we to trust God with our lives that we have will and volition in, that we have the ability to choose obedience? We do so because at the bottom of every wise decision we make is the Lord who proves himself faithful. Lastly, in applying wisdom, we find that wisdom instructs you and answers others. Look at verses 20. And 21, have I not written for you 30 sayings of counsel and knowledge to make you know what is right and true, that you may give an answer to those who sent you? So wisdom here becomes for you a guide to what is right and true. The more we apply God's word to our heart, the more intuitive it is to follow God. It's kind of like riding a bike. It's hard and it's difficult But at some point, when you begin to lean into the corner, you realize that you're not going to fall over, that you can actually do it. And it is laborious. It is completely opposite our experience apart from God to begin to obey God, to trust God in areas like lust, to trust that it actually rewards you not to turn to pornography. When all of our experience says that's where the reward is. When all of our experience says to be vindicated, we use our words to tear down that person. That makes sense. And you know what? It is difficult to encounter those truths and preach God's word to you. But the more we do that, the more we say, this is how God designed it. This is what is right and true. This is the reality that God has created us for. It becomes easier and easier and easier. And as we live that out, experiencing the pleasantness of God in our obedience, we begin to be able to answer those around us. That's where Solomon ends. He says, you may give it a true answer to those who sent you. Solomon here is assuming that the person he's teaching has been sent to him. It was actually common in this time for someone who purported to be wise to have someone sent to them to kind of challenge the wisdom, to see if it were true. We see this a number of times in scripture, one with Solomon himself. Solomon was examined by the queen of Sheba. She had heard about Solomon's wisdom, but she also knew that during that time, There were other ancient religions who had similar facets of wisdom, specifically Egypt. And what we just saw is Solomon's wisdom was greater than that of Egypt. So what did she do? She went to examine his wisdom. And this is what happens in 1 Kings 10, verses 1 through 5. 
Now when the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with very great retinue, with camels bearing spices, and very much gold and precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she told him all that was on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing hidden from the king that he could not explain to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, the attendants of his servants, their clothing, his cupbearers, and his burnt offering that was offered at the house of the Lord, there was no more breath in her. She came questioning, encountered the wisdom of God, and was left breathless. This scene sets up another scene. Many years later, in the Gospel of Jesus, where John the Baptist had for long been proclaiming the Messiah of Christ, or the Messiah of the Old Testament, who was the Christ. And, and Jesus comes and is proclaiming that he is the fulfillment of this. And John even says, this is the one. And yet, Jesus' ministry does not look like the wisdom John's disciples thought the ministry of the Messiah would look like. And so they come to him to question him. To say, are you the one? Is this as good as it gets? It's not long after this questioning where Jesus says this in Matthew 11, or Matthew 12, verse 42. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. In other words, Jesus is saying, that if the queen of Sheba saw all of Solomon's glory and was breathless, you who see me today should be left even more without breath. For wisdom greater than Solomon is here. And yet, these people did not see Jesus for who he was. And Jesus says, for those who do have the privilege of seeing him, there are those in your life who will not see your life as the same wisdom they share. There'll be those who question the way you live, who think it's silly that you do not participate in the things they participate in, and you do the things that they don't ever want to do. How will you answer them? Here, by simply living in wisdom and knowing that it will provide a true answer to them. Your life will show to the watching world that everything Jesus promised that is the very promise of the pleasure and pleasantness of God is true, that it is real, that it is available, that everything you hope for is here for you today, even you, if you would only incline your ear and turn with your heart to the words of the wise. You see, this is where Proverbs starts, isn't it? Look back at Proverbs chapter one in the introduction to Solomon's first prologue where he says this, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and in wise dealing. And then he goes on to say, to give it to the simple. In other words, we receive God's wisdom in order to give it to others. God graces us as the eternally sharing God so that we can not hoard it to ourselves, but as we live it out in life, we invite others to it. We say, come and see this God who has spoken. Come and see the wisdom which makes sense of our brokenness and the longings of our hearts. Come and see this Jesus who has died for you. Come and find the pleasantness of God in the gospel. It is as first. Peter says, well, Peter says it in 1 Peter, uh, in First uh, Peter 3, 13 through 15. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? 
But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. If you care about evangelism, God is calling you to care about the wisdom of God. For it's here that we answer not only with our words, but with our lives. The question of, is God supremely satisfying? Is Jesus eternally faithful? And it's here for the rest of your life where you get to scream, yes. Yes, he is. And we have the privilege of making this known. The joy of applying wisdom is that we get to enjoy the pleasantness of God and in turn, we like Solomon get to invite others to see, to savor, and to enjoy. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We pray that as we heard today, the words of the wise, the knowledge of God, not the words of Tyler, not even simply the words of Solomon, the human author, but behind is the divine author, the writer of scripture who controls his word and watches over it. We see in Jeremiah, we ask that that word becomes embedded in our hearts so that we might experience in Jesus Christ the pleasantness of God. That it would drive us to obey in difficult circumstances and find that you are faithful always there. On a Father's Day such as today that we find that there is a Father who is always able to do everything he promised even in the most difficult of circumstances. Lord, your wisdom is a reminder of your faithfulness. Help us to see it and to share it with others. We pray this in your name. Amen.